Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's, let's see now, Sunday night. I guess starting Shana Rabba, I guess. Um, and I'm going to say something about Simplest Torah, because obviously not going to be able to say it afterwards. <coughs> this way we'll get the most people. My team is bugging me to do it, so I'm going to do it. Uh, Simplest Torah is a very interesting, historically, because it's an invented holiday. And I hold that it shows you something interesting about the Jewish people. And let me explain. <coughs> we have... As you know, there's no simplest Torah in the Tanakh, as there's no simplest Torah in the Gemara, in the Talmud. They didn't have it that time. All you had is something called Shemini Atzeris. Now, it's true, nobody knows what Shemini Atzeris is. I know the answer is like you do, you know, Kasha like Pridaskim and all that stuff. But really, like, what is Shemini Atzeris? Sukkis, at least, you know, you get the general idea. What shall I say? It's a commemorative holiday. Uh, you know, whatever that means, like we spoke earlier today. And precisely because it doesn't say what's going on, therefore you have all these theories and speculations and things like that. Um, and, you know, if you paid me, I could give an explanation of Shemini But that's what it would be. Now, um, nevertheless, nevertheless, it's there. So what do you do when you have a holiday, there's nothing to do. There's no sukkah, there's no arbaminim, there's no special ceremonies. Especially in the derisa sense. <clears throat> you know, what did you do in Shemitah Bobkis, you know, nothing to do. And when they created prayers and all the rest of it, in the second temple, so, you know, it's just an extension of the prayers you had earlier. But on sukkah, you got to go to sukkah, you got the lulav. So what are you doing in Shemitah So it's just a dominating. Um, this is exactly why they piled on Yisker and all this stuff. Nothing else going on. Okay, so you might say, I guess, what's wrong with that? It's like the second day of, of, um, what do you call it? Uh, Shavuos, or the last day of Pesach, in Kutzlars, anyway. There's nothing to do. Fine. So you take it easy, you know what I mean? You know, what's wrong with that? Okay, see how she is there. Now, in Kutzlars, it's two days. Two days. So you just did the whole sukkahs with all the many ceremonies, all the extra you know, rituals. Then you got Shemitah But you have two days of Shemitah You mamish have nothing to do. Right? Like, what do you do if there wasn't a simplest Torah? It would, you know, just be repeating Shor or whatever. What would you do? Because, therefore, the Jewish calendar provided this empty time so to fill that vacuum arose organically historically from the bottom up and not from the top down the holiday called Simchas Torah which seems to have started in the times of Gaonim which is in the centuries immediately after the Talmudic era let's say for example seven, eight, nine hundreds, that kind of thing in Babylonia and, little, and 
there are many customs that start in Babylonia, and they stopped in Babylonia because he had the two yeshivas there, and what they did is not identical necessarily with others did. As you and I know, this particular custom took off. It spread from one end of the Jewish world to the other in a very interesting way. What was its sanction? It's not Talmudic. It's not something passed by the Gaonim as a formal Zach. It's bottom-up. It's organic. It spread because it obviously touched a chord in the Jewish people. No question about it. That is the most fascinating thing in the world to me. Understand? Ashkenazim, Sephardim, Yemenites, Persians, Caucasian Jews who knew nothing about anything. You know, everybody picked up uh, Simcha's Torah. And because it started in Babylonia, so it focused on the Torah. You know, the Shivas and all that. And obviously, you had to have a triennial, um, yeah, triennial, I said it wrong. You have to have a one-year cycle, like we have, you and I. Because if you had a triennial cycle, in which you finish the Torah every three years, obviously you couldn't have Simcha's Torah every year, because you don't finish the Chumash. <laughs> By the time the Middle Ages unfolds, you'll find the following funny thing. Simcha's Torah becomes so widespread, not precise in the way we do it today, but nevertheless, Simcha's Torah as a holiday had become so widespread that even in the Israeli synagogues, which means those shuls in Chutzlars, who kept up the minig of Eretz Yisrael, which is a distinct minig in the Middle Ages, different than the others, those shuls where they existed, and they were not in Israel, because between the Crusaders and all the junk, they were all killed out. So mainly in places like Egypt, in those places where they existed, those communities and synagogues, what do you call it, uh, celebrated Simcha's Torah every third year. <laughs> it's weird. Well, Simcha's Torah becomes so hardwired by the 10th century, the 11th century. Mom was hardwired that even the triennial cycle places did. You know, the guy I mentioned last week, Chanoch uh, Ben Moshe, what do you call it? It's a Ben Abitur. Ibn Abitur ended up being the rabbi in Egypt of the Israeli synagogue. So when I say Israeli, I obviously don't mean the modern Israel. I mean, those who followed the particular minig that unfolded in Eretz Israel in the extremely early Middle Ages. We don't have this today, but they did at that time. So, and they, and they persisted in the triennial cycle, which was an Israeli Zach during the time of Ezra Nehemiah. Now, um, clearly, as I said before, it touched a spark in the Babylonian era. If you don't know much about Simcha's Torah, there's several ways of getting at this information. The easiest and simplest thing is always Zevin. You understand what I'm saying? Look at the moment, the halacha, and even though he's focusing on the halacha side, but he touches on the historical side to some degree. And you'll see Rav Haigon already is dealing with certain questions associated with the Akavas, like if they compose a, a um, I'm going by memory here, if they compose a turban for the Sefer Torah, in that part of the world, the turban was considered very chashem. And you make a turban for the Sefer Torah, like we would make a crown, and it was made of ladies' garments or something. All the women would contribute a handkerchief or a scarf or something like that. And by them, that was considered a pious act. Question then becomes, 
you know, once the holiday's over, does everybody take their stuff back? Or has it become Kadosh because you use it for a Sefer Torah and, you know, can't reduce the Kadusha? All of which means that already in time of Haigon, who died in the early 1000s, it's already a hardwired minog that people know about. Um, it is one of those folk customs which every once in a while rises and becomes widespread and forces the halakhic authorities to adjust to it, not the other way around. We like to think, especially in the Haredi world today, that the post can control everything. If they tell you eat this, you eat it. If they tell you can't eat, you can't eat anymore. Happens all the time. There's some food product everybody's into. All of a sudden, here, they pulled Asher. Or they'll tell you something else. You're not allowed to do it. Now, I don't say everybody listens, but, you know, they put the marker out there. However, if you go throughout Jewish history, every once in a while, you see the public is doing what it wants to do, and the rabbis have to get on the board. The trouble with reform and conservative is they try to make us a lachachilah. And even Avi Weiss. Try to make a lachachilah. That, that's the mahalach to go in. If that's it, then it forms a jelly. The halachic system comes a jelly and then folds apart. But if it happens every once in a while, you know, rarely, that's no big deal. At least in integrity system, as we've seen. And at the very beginning of conservative Judaism, those guys knew it, and they said it, but they couldn't control it. Because once you give in, in principle, I mean, I don't want to go into all that. The bottom line is they didn't have fundamentalism, but the point of the matter is that Simcha's Torah is an example. Because technically speaking, you shouldn't go dancing on Yantif. But Simcha's Torah took off. Not exactly 100% the way it unfolded later with Dachofus. Nevertheless, you had some kind of dancing already early on. And even though it says Embetapkin, Embetapkin, Rakhdin, and all the rest of it, those Simcha's Torah is different. Shiny. It's different. Either you took the approach that you try to find the legal argument that Metapchem Metapchem refers to a special kind of dancing and, you know, that we don't do. You know, Yeshiva guys cannot dance. White men cannot dance. To do it in Metapchem Metapchem in a rhythmic way. I'm not sure if that's true of all the communities it was at that time. Or else you simply say, listen to heck with it. Simchastor, Simchastor. It's an interesting thing that we see in our type, you know, that, you know, you waive a lot of problems, a lot of potential problems, because you say it's a covenant Torah. And that's the equal point. The holiday emerged clearly as a holiday, and again, from the from the bottom up, from the masses, as a covenant Torah and an Avasa Torah, which is interesting. Simcha's Torah is a time, and always has been, when the a certain class of people who are not necessarily the biggest scholars at all. Immersion want to say like this, but I like to, I, I, I have Abba Sator also. I don't say I know Baba Kama by heart, but I have Abba Sator also. And there are many stories and tales and you can read in Zev and others, classic and otherwise, where this point is made. Uh, the classic one is, um, they say with the Brisker of Beisal Levi, where he told the guy, what are you dancing for? You don't learn anything. And the guy said something along the lines, and if my brother gets married, I don't go and dance at his wedding. You know? In other words, 
it's a folk mass assertion of what I talked about the other day, that there's a claw you throw, and just because you guys do the learning doesn't mean that we're not part of it either. We're actually associating ourselves with the learning that others do, because we got to work, we don't have the head for it, we don't have the patience for it, we have family responsibilities, other things. We can't do all this stuff. But we identify with it. And we show that we identify with it. At least once a year, we have National Torah Day, and we are uh, singing and happy and dancing and this and that, the other, to show that we identify with it. Which is of gigantic importance. It's of gigantic importance in the classic Claudius Roll model. Because the very nature of the Claudius Roll model is there are always going to be a few people on the extreme right, the Hasidim as they call them, and they're doing lifting Meshurah Zedin and that sort of thing. The others, even all the way to the other extreme, on the extreme left, who may be violating the mitzvahs, they say, you know, we're doing the wrong thing, we acknowledge you guys are doing the right thing. And that itself is of gigantic importance spiritually. And Simcha's turn, that's what you have. I'm not saying non-observant or doing this, but I'm saying even the people who don't learn or learn a lot, or don't, I mean, or, or you know, don't learn enough, or whatever. This is certainly true throughout history. Most Jews were not learned. Remember, you didn't have day schools. You sure as heck didn't have base Yaakov's. Right? And so what do people know? The learners was a small group always. But the Hamunam, they say we want a piece of the action also. And we are demonstrating our connectivity to it. And that makes it a remarkable thing because it's not like a bunch of rabbis got together and invented this. It's the opposite. If it went up to the rabbis, they would say, Simcha's Torah, rejoicing in Torah should only be for those who make a siyam hashas, a siyam on a gemara, you know, the cognoscenti, those who know what's going on over here. The hamonam, the masses are asses, you know, they don't really count. Like the Rambam says, you need somebody to, to be a balagola. Need somebody, you know, to make a minion, but they don't really count. The attitude of the rabbis was a very condescending one. The attitude out of which Simchastoric emerges is the reverse of condescension. So I want you to understand that Simchastoric has always been an expression of a certain type of conservative social revolution. It's a conservative revolution. It doesn't seem to, to, to uh, overturn the hierarchy, but it does seem to shall we say, expand it and give the lower <coughs> orders in it uh, a feeling of connecting this with the higher. It's remarkable in that regard. I'm not, I don't know enough about the other religions if there are similar things. This is such an unusually interesting Jewish one. So if you want to understand the ABCs of Simchasari, you check out seven. But if you want to understand it much, much better, you get the famous book I think from the 1950s, uh, Moser of Cook. That's the history of Simchas Torah by Avraham Ari. It's such a good book. It's such a classic. And they always reprint it and sell it every year. So I'm sure it's in your stores now. I don't get a penny out of this. I see published originally in 1964. Avraham was, you know, in the Hebrew library. He's one of these book knowledgeable people. They knew a Velt. And you might say that this is a folkloristic historical uh, study, together with a kind of halachic one, in which he covers every single aspect of the history of Simcha's Torah and the various customs that popped up over there. And you truly see 
a magnificent panorama of Jewish communities and different Jewish centuries and different cultures and what they have in common and what they do not. Okay? Now, the original Simplest Torah was much less organized. Eventually, they made, created a Putin for it and eventually developed into a certain way of taking out the Sefer Torahs off from the Ark, which he never did during the year. And that itself, in some places, was the Simplest Torah. Just to take a bunch of people and take all the Sefer Torah out and sing a song or two, a tale or two, does only again the Simplest Torah. If it's in your little community, and that's considered a big deal, and all the women will come to Shul and all the kids will come to Shul, and when they just take out the Torahs, that's all they're doing. And let's say they sing, uh, I don't know, the David Mizra or something like that, oh, whatever. They sing a song or two, uh, and that's considered a big deal. And if the kids come, somebody will give them a candy, whatever the candy was in those centuries. Das Ali is the graces of, you see? That alone will be a big deal. It'll be thrilling. We would consider it boring, but they, they consider it thrilling. But it didn't take too long before, or in the high Middle Ages, you have the dancing. Um, especially, we have these wonderful uh, descriptions of dancing around bonfires and all this other junk. In Germany, of all places, you know, the Rhineland, um, early on. And then you see, so basically, what's happening is, they're copying from the Christians, a kind of carnivalistic thing, but in a very much more uh, uh, clean and safe way. You know, there's no uh, carrying on in stupid ways or anything like that. It's it's having fun, but in a very lofty way, you're celebrating the Torah in some sense. What does it mean to jump over bonfires? That's how they got their kicks in Germany in the 1100s. Big deal. Uh, there's wonderful articles in Yari's book and in my favorite historian, Simcha uh, Asaf, I haven't seen it in a while, about the different customs, especially I remember the women in um, Germany in the 11 to 1200s. That's a long time ago. And what they're doing, carrying going in Simcha's Torah. And the women had, you know, the, the, there, was a, there was a men's zone in the synagogue. This was called a Weibushishol, a separate room for the women with a certain connection between, usually not big. You know, like Hasidic, maybe. Not a balcony, others. And in the women's area, they ran their own auction and their own stuff. Now, they're not auction off Aliyah's. They auction off the right to clean the shul, to sweep the floor. This is a we don't have in America, right? To sweep the floor, you hire somebody. You get a hold of somebody, you know, a worker, and you pay them. They do a good job. Who would think like this? A rich lady. This is Ashkenaz of Once Upon a Time. That's why I told you Simcha's story is so interesting. Ashkenaz Once Upon a Time. A rich lady will compete for the right that she should get her hands and knees and scrub the floor of the show. Because of Malcolm Kadosh. It's a Migdash Mat. I tell you, it's inconceivable in America. This was considered piety on our Ashkenazic ancestors of a thousand years ago. Okay, uh, So there's so many little different things. Eventually, they got the idea not just take the Torah out, but march around with it. Uh, 
Sooner or later, they came up with seven times. You know, some places two, some three, eventually seven. The final crystallization is Kabbalistic, like in the 1500s, if I recall correctly. It's all in the Ari's book. And I believe it was under the influence of the Arizal, and after the Arizal, and that sort of thing. Uh, and you can already see from a Kabbalistic point of view, you know, it's like spheros, get it? Going round and round. Um, and of course, it partakes of the Oshina ceremony, you know. But it didn't exist in Amity Gamar. That's my point. So, um, in other places, the women developed other customs. It's a fascinating. One problem you always have is uh, what they call Simcha Yisera. Things get out of hand. Carrying on too much. In America, unfortunately, it's connected with alcoholism and the drugs and stuff. I live in Baltimore. I'm sure it is in other cities. You know, I've been in many Vatarabun meetings over the years. It was to cops or the hospitals to say, oh, we know it's that time of the year. We're going to see a bunch of kids in the emergency room. Now, these are kids who don't know how to do Simcha. And so the gangs run around. And they think it's cool to get drunk in one place and do drugs in another. Who knows what? But that was generally not the way it was in, in Jewish history. Instead, I mean, you did have some drunkenness. They talk about that. But they usually have to do with fire because they didn't have electricity. And simple turns at night. And therefore, you're talking about torches. And sooner or later, they developed the idea of marching around with torches, <clears throat> which is a Muslim and a Christian thing, too. And you're talking about a small synagogue marching around with torches. Therefore, you're talking about a fire a fire department situation. Right? You're going to make a fire. That's just how it is. And you add in, so there's a lot of Shilohs connected with that. Plus, you also add in the fact that in Eastern Europe in the 15th, 16th, 1700s, the synagogues were often built as emergency shelter for the Jewish community in case of a pogrom. Right? What if the local Cossacks would ever go nuts? Till the Polish army arrives to save you, if, if they come, they got to run to the shoal, which usually was built pretty stoutly. And it was not only a synagogue. I don't know if you've ever been to Eastern Europe. They ever see the remnants of the old shoals. Aren't too many left. I got to see the one in um, Slonim, which I think was in rotten shape, falling apart. And the group I was with actually snuck in better than me. Um, too old to do all that stuff. But the part I saw was like amazing. It's like Sistine Chapel, you know, I mean, fancy delicious, fancy with paintings on the roof and all this stuff. And it was once upon a time stout. And it was meant to hold out against an attack. Consequently, in every synagogue, among other things, you had gunpowder and an arsenal. It's a, you know, it was a time I would say this, and they'd say, I don't believe it. Today in America and the rest of the world, we're holding by this at this moment. Is that true or not? I don't even know where, where you're living, but where I live, you know, people come to show the, with guns. Some do. And I'm sure shows have security plans. It's all this kind of junk. I hope you'll never need it. But you, but, but they're there. Uh, I'm, I'm sure all of you saw that clip was it a year, two, three, four, five years ago, whatever, in that church in Texas or somewhere, 
The guy came in, started shooting people. And the church security guys shot him in one bullet and took him down. The mom's there. Took him down in one minute, one second. Every shul now has people that are training for these kind of scenarios. I'm sorry to say. I'm sorry to say. Now, <laughs> we don't have powder magazines yet in shul. Not that I know of. I got a little shul. <laughs> I don't think the big shuls have you know ammo stored, whoever. But they might. In Poland, Eastern Europe, the kingdom of Poland, Slovenia, you have shuls with gunpowder magazines. And it's just a matter of time for the local kids, mischievous kids, say, every time, I'd con Hakova base. Boom! <laughs> they set off a bomb, meaning they light a little bit of gunpowder. It goes kablooey. Not enough to hurt anybody, but you know, enough to make boo. And you know, after old people, she'll get a heart attack right there and there. It's old Charlotte, can you do it? Seven has this, I think. And so does Yari. Uh, believe it or not, there were some posts who said, all right, you know, like this. Uh, you go to countries like Italy, where the musical tradition is so pr pronounced. And they would have in some places, especially in the area of Venice, meaning the Republic of Venice, which is the Venetian uh, province in north eastern Italy, and the whole coastline of what you call today Serbia, Yugoslavia, and so forth, and Crete and Cyprus. And there, I remember, they used to hire bands, Gaisha bands, to perform in the show, which is unheard of in America, or for the following reason. And here's another side, which accommodated to Simchas Torah and Simchas Torah accommodated to it. The Hanu Kovid. Have you heard of Kovid? <laughs> Not COVID, Kovid. Um, you know, back in the old country especially, to have COVID, a Gabai, a president, a this and the other, oh, it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. Remember the Fiddler on the Roof? Oh, I'd sit in the Eastern Wall. Once upon a time, COVID's a big deal. I don't think in America it's such a big deal anymore, but maybe I'm wrong. And therefore, the whole history of people wanting Chassan Torah, Chassan Brachus, this, that, and the other. And the communities organically developed all these rituals. Even today, if you buy Chassan Torah Brachus, you got to make a Kiddush, right? Isn't that right? I'm sure it's by you also. But there were all these communities in which they ritually marched the guy who won Chassan Torah, Chassan Brachus, from his house to the synagogue, from his synagogue to the house. They made a whole parade out of it, like queen for a day, you know. And the wife gets accompanied by the women. And they make a whole big shmigil. And you have a band. <laughs> they have a band. If I remember correctly, Pardo, the Shoshana Ledovit, you know, Dovit Pardo, the big posy in Venice, he said, all right, all right, Simchastara, all right. You see, they're bending the rules, accommodating that's what makes Simchastor so fascinating. Um, COVID sometimes gets totally out of hand. There's a Marik, I think, if I remember correctly, where, you know, they wanted a coin to leave the shul so they could bid up higher uh, for Simchastor to the, the, the alias. The coin wouldn't leave. And I remember the end, it was a mantua. Eventually, the imam was called the cops, the duke's police. In other words, some guy said, get out of here. He says, I'm a coin. I don't have to leave. They say, you're costing your soul money. You go to the devil. You go to the devil. Fist fights break out. 
just had he got into some control with the police here. You know, it's a, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, then you have all different other communities. I remember parades with the children because they always try to come with something for the children. Which is great. It's fantastic. Matter of fact, to be perfectly honest, in my opinion, the best part of Simple Stories is the little kids. Because they leave them with erosion and they don't forget. I have grandchildren. This is the truth. The little kids, they remember Simple Stories. They said, when are we going to have it again? A guy in my show told me this morning. He has a daughter. He didn't dance. She remembers the Nagun all year long. She's singing the Nagun. Yeah. You underestimate the power of these things. You understand? Know you underestimate the power of these things. And so, uh, they had it. <laughs> in Spain, used to be a custom. You take the crowns off the Sefer Torah, you put them on the little kitties. <laughs> you march them around. It's very cute. Now, halakhically, it's questionable. Can you take a crown from the Sefer Torah, put in a little child? And by the way, the guy Shemais, the Shiksas, Walk with the little kids in the show. This is unthinkable today. You're Spanish maid. Walk around in the synagogue. Doing a parade. For Simplest Torah. With the children wearing crowns from the Sefer Torah. They asked the Rajah. And the Rajah like this. I don't know what to tell you. I did it when I was a kid. <laughs> Shows you who he was. He said, we did it when I was a kid in Barcelona. Those things are inconceivable the rest of the year. They're doing Simplest Torah. It has that, that's what we call carnival. Carnivale. It was some, once a year, they kind of break the rules. That's where I developed this attitude towards giving 100 aliyahs. You know, you call them over and over until everybody gets an aliyah. Or in some places, you have multiple people in aliyah at the same time. Things you would never think of the rest of the year. Just, I mean, enter it in anything. And the shallows and shoes are full. Well, some say no, some say yeah, you know, like that. So it always stretched. The, you know, straight-laced, narrow, halachic definitions. Because the people are saying like this, I don't want to be bound by this stuff. The opposite. We're trying to do this to show we like the Torah. Don't get in my way with all these OCD rules and stupid rituals all the rest of it. That's for the other 353 days a year. Okay? So we want to, you know, we, I want to get to kiss the Torah the way I want to get to kiss the Torah. Some of these places, the women would decorate the shul. So they chased the men out. I remember Eisenstadt, Hildesheimer talks about this. In Hungary, I was in that show. Uh, they chased the men out. You guys all go home. And then for the whole afternoon, they were in show, you know, decorating the whole place. In Baghdad, they had a custom, I'm going by memory here, that uh, not a lot of dancing and all that, that you had also. But it's a minute to go from show to show. They probably had 100 shows in Baghdad once upon a time. Really, they really did. They go from shul to shul, and the orange cottage is open, and the family goes, the father and the mother and the children, and they just go to every orange cottage and kiss the Torahs. And they go to another place. Like, and that's considered an outing. Uh, so the most innocent sorts of things, the most mischievous sorts of things, the most ingenious sorts of things, pop up in connection with the, with the simplest Torah. Obviously, after the result, but it took the form of seven covers with the dancing. I think that became pretty much hardwired. That's what I think. Came pretty much hardwired. And that became common around the world, I think. I think. Now, I know not everybody's seven, but usually, you know, that's the way it is.
and daytime different customs. But the Tsura somewhat, you know, came our way. What's funny is it spread to Eretz Yisrael, where there really is not supposed to be a simple Torah in the sense that there's only one day of Shemina Tzeres. I never was in Israel on such an occasion. I can just imagine what it is. It must be nuts. You live in Israel. You got your uh, regular davening. You got your Yisker. In some years, you got your Kohelas. And then you got a Kofis. <laughs> right? I mean, that's a long day. That's a long davening. And, um, you know, these are, and we since it was a covenant tour, even the people who don't dance, you know, even the people usually don't. And so, I'll say it again. If you're interested seriously in Simchat Torah, which is a wonderful study, um, I would strongly advise you, if you can, even though it's only 24 hours away, get a hold of the Ari book and read one chapter. You won't have time to read the whole thing. Let's say, for example... Noshim B'Simchas Torah. Or if you want Sheet of Hayyelodim B'Simchas Torah, he has about the, um, what do you call it, the, uh, you know, the Rajvot. Zrikas HaPeris Leolim B'Simchas Torah. Throwing candy. When I was a kid, I don't remember throwing candy. In my show now, that was like a major part of it. You know, these guys, that that's their sock for the whole year. You know, and the kids remember it the whole year. Uh, not, there's an interesting Nachrim B'Simchas B'Simchas Torah. Many, many communities had going. You have to understand. They have nothing to hide. And when the Jews have a whole thing going on. And by the way, in some of these communities, I know it's not right. I remember the caucuses. When someone said they shot guns in the air, because that's what the Goyim do at their holidays. And they're the Muslims, you know. So the Jews came to Shalom, they shot guns in the air, and they blew stuff up, and you know, they carried on, and they swing swords. Because that's the culture there. And so the, the Gentile neighbors would come and, and participate. Uh, can you imagine? I don't really imagine this. Not in Baltimore. You know, you have a simple story. You have people who are not Jewish participating in the hakovs and the dancing. That's a very liberal congregation. Uh, Kalvachom are not with swords, not with guns. When you come to simple stories, no questions. Are you talking about Persia? Are you talking about Kurdistan? Are you talking about Afghanistan? I'm serious. Morocco, Poland, Germany, and now we're in America. The simplest story takes on the trappings of the local culture. Unfortunately, in America, I think it takes on the culture of the too much drinking and the drugs and all that from the American culture. That's a sad thing, you know. But um, nevertheless, you know, it's a, it, it, it's an amazing holiday. Now, I repeat what I said before, and it's all invented. You can't say God made Simchat Torah for this reason. Chazal made Simchat Torah for that reason. They didn't. They didn't. The Jewish people wanted to. Every Jewish community in its own way. Right? Every Jewish community in its own way. That's why the Italians do it in the Italian way, and the French did it in the French way. How they're going to... I read a guy... Where did I see this? Somebody who obviously was a Yaki but didn't like the Herschel, you know. I'm talking about in Frankfurt. He said, oh, to go there was like going to the opera, you know, because everybody came dressed in their opera uniform for Simchastara. That's a shtick from the early, 19th, the early 20th century, you know. You dress up like you're going to a ball. I know Simchastara is not a ball, but I'm just saying, you know, just that way. So it's it's so interesting to see 
what constantly goes on, which is that life is such that there's a constant negotiation between the Jewish culture on the one hand and the host culture on the other. Even the Satmar will say, yeah, they don't change. Baloney. They take in a lot of American stuff also. It's what happens. question is how much and how you do it. The difference between the from and the not from is the not from they'll do too much and then you lose the Jewish part. But every Jewish community picks up, you know, some of the parts. And the historian of culture or of Jewish uh, ethnicity, I'm serious, should always, if they only knew, they'd be fascinated with studying the difference of historic customs because that's like a, a litmus test. Nowadays in Eretz Yisrael, as you know, the Simcha Yisrael got so popular, even the non from the Mei HaKafot Shniot, right? Um, in other words, after Yontav is over, meaning after the Shmiyat Sarah is over, so by then it's all over, they still have a couple of Shniyot. Why? Because the non from also wanted to participate. This was something even early in the Zionist era, when it was the height of secularism, they wanted to participate in the HaKafot. Now, to some degree, people like a parade and a party. But to another degree, it's a very Jewish parade and a very Jewish party. The songs you're singing are Jewish songs. There are many non-Jewish songs out there that Israeli secularists, like American secular Jews, you know, can 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 party to. But Simchas Torah is always associated with some kind of Jewish song. Right? At the end of the day, some kind of from a religious song. And so I would go so far as to venture to say that Simchas Torah is a, is a sneaky creation of the Yetzir Tov. <laughs> to underbide the Itzahara. And it's been fairly successful. I don't say it saved Judaism, but it's a very interesting aspect of Jewish religion. Uh, it is also a litmus test of where people are holding because in our modern culture, especially the Western culture, there's this business that people are uptight. They don't dance, they don't participate. Like the Ramam talks about at the end of Hilchus you know, whatever it's called, Hilchus Sukkah, you know, over there. He talks about double milk dancing and all the rest of it. Um, it's a very important Rambam, by the way. Uh, he doesn't say it specifically in context with uh, Simcha's Torah, but of course he means, he means it, you know. You know what I'm talking about, when Dovid goes and dances, because the Rambam says it in connection with the Simcha's base at Shoeva. You have to understand, for somebody like the Rambam, it's hard for me to see the Rambam getting down and dirty and boogieing. But he did, in, in his way. Uh, in his way. Because, he, you know, what the heck? Well, hold on for a second. Let me pull it out. It's in, um... Zmanim here. I'm sure I must have mentioned this before. But who cares? Uh, Hilchus Yanta. Hilchus this, that, and the other one minute. It should be about sugars. Here you go. Sugar. One minute. Uh, Lulo. Here we go. Uh, he's talking about the simplest base issue. And what's striking to the Rambam is even the great scholars used to dance on their heads and juggle things. You know, like, you know, we all know the Mishnah and everything. And sing and perform. I, it's undignified. If the Gedoli Israel did it, Shmami, you know, it's dignified. I, but it's not. The answer is, on the right occasion, it's dignified. 
Hey, Chayy Simchazu. It's Rambam and Hilchus all over the end. Perches. How did they do the 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 thing? The Simchaz based Shulayim based Amish. Hachol El Makke Hamenagdim Bekinor Dvom Sedum. They have a band, an orchestra. Kolakim Bekliyshe Shuyim Nagibo. Roked in Besav from the top of the pod. They carry on, jump upside down, inside out, over and under, round and through. Mitzvah Laharbis Besimchazu. Lohi Osin Osa Amiyaris. And the opposite, it was only for the elites. The others just did a watch. It wasn't for the Amiyaritz, and forever wanted to. Only the elites. They did the juggling, the handstands, the somersaults, and all that business. The masses, they're just the audience. And then the Ram goes on to say, and in my opinion, he does this because he's trying to explain philosophically how can it be that you 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 lose your your dignity and your calm, and you, like I say, you know, big rabbi, you stand in your head and uh, spit wood nickels. You know, how do you do that? The simcha that a person feels, and theologically, you're not in love with the mitzvah, you're in love with God who commanded the mitzvah. And anyone who holds himself back, like you say, I don't, I don't participate in simcha. It's not who I am. Royally, poor me men who deserve to be punished. Which the Rambam, in his way, he's a master of shot, you know. It says the Tzorchah is coming because you didn't do a Basim Chov You weren't in a happy mood. He didn't carry on. Anyone who has gossips here, I mean, certain arrogance. He's He holds himself to be Kovadik. Chote Vashote. So again, 364 days a year, it's appropriate. Simchator is not appropriate. Or a chasen or something, you know what I mean? But I'm just saying Simchator. Or in the ancient times, Simchot Beis Eshuevo. Shehene, um, well, Zeh, here's your Shlom Melch V'yomer. And Shlom Melch and Mishli said, Al Tisad Elfnei Melch. Don't hold yourself to be Mahudr when you're standing in presence of the king. Which the Rambam is interpreting to mean, don't say, I don't get down and dirty and dance. If it's a mitzvah to dance. Cholamashvil, that's the opposite. Anybody who lowers himself, umekel gufa mekomaselo. Interesting words, umekel gufa, and he makes his body kal, light, not serious. Say boogies, any woogies and schmoogies and trogies. You know, he's carrying going like a dancer. You know, getting down. Who hagodol hamachubed haovid miava? Because that person realizes that on this occasion, again, simchas beisayshay once upon a time. Simchas Torah or something like that. Another time, that is the Ovid Miyava. He's the Golden Mechuvin because he understands the right time and the right place. And that's this is Ram's interpretation of the famous diss that David gave back to Micha when she dissed him, and she said, "You're undignified." He said to her, "I'll get more call than this." No, you think I was boogieing now? I'm gonna do it more. But you see, shovel I'll get down even more. 
And he was right, according to the Rambam. Vena Gadula, the covet El Hashem. The opposite. The real covet is on the appropriate occasion, like I say, one day here. The smoke of Hashem Shenemer Dove is carrying on and booking and twisting and schmisting and plisting all over the place. Right? Um, you know, like at a disco or something like that. Now, ah, he's throwing him out. But he knew on this occasion by him was when they brought the urn to Yerushalayim. It's the right thing to do. So again, Simchas Torah is a litmus test in this way as well. Obviously not for people that are sick, but you know what I mean, regularly. Uh, anyway, I've spoken long enough on this subject, and I can't do justice to it in a podcast because it's such a wide and interesting subject from a historical perspective. You know, the historians love, or they also love, to study how a simple story practice in, in North Africa in the time of the Rivash, in Vilna in the time of the Gon, in Eisenstadt in the time of Panamiris, in Prague in the time of Nodavihuda, and so forth. The only way to do that is look at the Shalas and Shubas usually. You know, that's a, a shtikla voda. But it's a fascinating one. And you see the sublimeness and also the ridiculousness. The same person that will act in a very chasha way will get into a fight with somebody else and punch him out of a chasen Torah. You look in the Shubas, you see such things. Um, and covered. oh my goodness, covered, covered, covered. But then again, it's a Jewish covered, Right? They're fighting over a Jewish covered. So this is the fascinating aspect of Simcha's Torah. And with that, I want to wish you, um, and Yantam, I want to thank the Stefanski family who's always responsible these things. And let's all have a good Simcha's Torah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.simcha.org support dot rabbi david